Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. A great big clap for Clay Healy, Blake Healy. Thanks, guys. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> awesome. All right. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. You wouldn't lie to me, would you? <laughs> so the other day I was thinking about this word. It's a word that we use a lot. And I think it's it, we use it so much that sometimes it can just kind of lose its meaning, you know? Like, I remember when all the HD televisions were coming out for the first time, like, 2006-ish. And, like, that was, like, the hot thing to call something. And so, like, everything was the HD version of this. So it was, like, HD pancakes, HD t-shirt. If you take these supplements, you'll get HD abs. And, you know, it's like which stands for high definition, by the way, but it's like, you know, that could apply to anything. What does that even mean? Um, and so I was thinking of this, this phrase, and it's something that can become that for us, but I, I was just kind of trying to dig down to the roots of what it was, and the word I'm thinking of is supernatural. Supernatural. Anyone ever heard that one before? <laughs> Once or twice around here, maybe? <laughs> Once or twice since service started? <laughs> um, I was just thinking about what, what does that word really mean? And it, it kind of came to me because I was teaching a, a Bethel Life class a few weeks ago, uh, which is our kind of, if you want to know a little bit more about our culture, about what we carry, just kind of go a little bit deeper. That's our Wednesday night class. It just finished around. It'll be starting up uh, early next year for the next round if you're interested. Um, and we were kind of going through our different core values and just things that we carry. And one of the ones that I landed on was uh, the, the actual way it's phrased is Jesus empowers supernatural ministry. And I just sat and thought, and, you know, it's a word that I'd heard a lot. It's a word that I felt like I maybe understood the definition of. But as I sat and thought about it, I realized, like, I've never really kind of got all these thoughts into one place before. And as I did, I really felt just the hand of God breathing on something. And so I'd kind of like to walk you guys towards some of those things that I was hearing and thinking about. Does that sound okay to you guys? Cool. It's what we're doing anyway, so I just wanted to get your approval before we dive in. Um, so it's interesting. So the, the, the prefix super means above, above or higher than. The word natural means uh, anything that is naturally occurring or something that regularly or uh, regular returns to its normal state. Basically, it's anything that is, happens on its own, happens within the, the scope of reality as we understand it. Does that make sense? I didn't think I was going to get all Merriam-Webster at the beginning of this thing. Um, I know, dictionary jokes, they're not that popular. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so super, above, natural, naturally occurring. So the word supernatural very basically means anything that is, that is above normal, something that exists above or beyond 
what we could, would consider normal. A way that I would kind of bring that into our interpretation of it is, it is so, it's when God does something bigger or better than we could have done on our own. Does that make sense? It's when God takes what we can do, takes a situation, and does something that would have been impossible without him being there. Now, this is something that we kind of have a few, a few things that we fit under this, this category. And, you know, you probably have a list in your own head. If I said, hey, what is, what's it, give me an example of something that's supernatural, you may say things like healing, like the testimony that we heard earlier. You know, you lay your hands on someone, you pray for them, and they couldn't walk before, but now they can. That is not natural. If you get in a car wreck and you damage your spine to a certain extent, in the natural order of things, if there's a, that's a certain kind of injury, that will not heal on its own, right? Naturally. However, if you pray, the presence of God shows up, that thing gets healed. That's better than above than natural, right? I know we're walking through this kind of slow. I'm going somewhere. Just want to make sure that we're on, on track as we get there. If you give a prophetic word to someone and you say things about them, you point out characteristics, you care, point out things that are in their heart that no one else could have known about that, that is not something that could naturally happen. You can't naturally hear what's going on inside someone's heart, inside someone's mind. You can't naturally hear what God is planning on the future without hearing him say it, right? It's above normal. It's above natural. And... So as I was kind of bringing this, this definition into my mind, I, <clears throat> I just noticed a few things, really, really two main things that I feel like we can miss, or, or as the word supernatural or the idea of a supernatural culture becomes more and more normal, I feel like there are a few things that we can take for granted as we step into that kind of culture. And so I, I want to point out a couple of those things. And the first thing that I want to point out is that supernatural does not mean magical. <laughs> it does not mean, poof, it just worked. <laughs> no, it, it, it means that in following God and going after what we, what we see him doing, we watch God come through and do something. And, you know, I think with this, because, again, you know, when, when, with supernatural things, it's not, you know, with magical things like, you know, let's take Cinderella, for example. You know, sometimes we feel like we want God to be like our fairy godmother who just shows up and says, hey, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do that for you. Bippity boppity boo. Here's your carriage. Here's your dress. You're going to the ball. It's going to be awesome. But hey, get back by midnight. That's the one rule. Do that. There you go. Sometimes we feel like we want God to be that clear, that explicit about one, two, three directions. And... How many of you have ever experienced that it's not actually that clear all the time? Ever felt that? I would like to suggest that it's actually better that it's not a set of one, two, three, four, five step directions. And I believe it's because God wanted to protect something that he created in the Garden of Eden, which is this thing called free will. I don't think we always understand the value of free will. I mean, again, something that's easy to take for granted. But in a garden that he built to be a perfect paradise, he included a bad choice. He included a good tree and a bad tree. So in the mind of God, the garden was a more perfect place with a bad option available. Which sounds weird until you realize that 
actual love, actual relationship cannot exist if there's not another option. <laughs> if I don't choose to have relationship with you, then we don't actually have a relationship. I have an assignment, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> and so if God wanted just an assignment, just an employee, it would make sense for him to give us step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven step directions, do this, then do this, pray for this person, pray for them for this long, say this, and do it this way, and then leave. If he, was just want, if he just wanted us to accomplish a goal, if he just wanted us to be a good employee, that would be the best way to do it. But that's not actually what he's looking to do. He's looking to create mature sons and daughters. And I, you know, my, my oldest son is only seven years old right now, so I'm just seven years into this fatherhood thing. But I'm starting to realize, even in my earthly fatherhood experience, that there is a huge difference in how much my son actually learns when I tell him what to do step by step versus create an opportunity for him to discover how to do something the best way. I've noticed that one way sticks with him a lot longer and he understands it much more personally and astutely when I create an environment where he can discover the truth. And I believe that's why God is mysterious the way that he is, is that he hides the truth not from us but for us so that we can have the beautiful experience of discovering it. And it's important that we understand that he hides it for us, not from us, because that changes the ballgame. If, if God is, like, trying to create separation between him and us, then that's, that's just a fight we can't win. You know, an easy example is, like, Easter. So, I'm, again, I have four children. My oldest is seven, and my, you know, Easter comes around, and, you know, I'm going to hide the Easter eggs. If the goal of the Easter egg hunt is hide the eggs so the kids don't find them, I'm going to win every time. <laughs> Why? Because I'm going to get an excavator and dig 13 feet into the ground, put the eggs down there and bury them, <laughs> and then put some like inside the chimney on, on, in the roof, on the roof of my house, and then I'm going to mail one to Tokyo. <laughs> and I win Easter every time. <laughs> Obviously, the point of Easter is not to win Easter by hiding the eggs. The actual point of Easter is to hide the eggs. But now, this, maybe this is just me, but I'm not the person who just like throws the eggs out there on the, on the grass. I mean, you got to do some of that, you know. But I like to try to find a spot that is hidden so that they don't see it right away. My goal when I'm hiding the Easter eggs is that when they find it, I want them to feel excited and smart for finding it there. I want them to feel like, oh, I figured out where this egg was. And God is a way better father than I am. And so I believe that he hides everything that we need where we're going to find it that's not only going to be a blessing, but also is going to teach us more about his nature. I believe that the supernatural is a window into the nature and character of God. It is a snapshot of who he is. It is a picture of his intention, of his character, of, <coughs> of what he wants to do on the earth, what he wants to do with your life. Every time you get a prophetic word, 
It is, it is not just a piece of information for you to understand and receive. When you give a prophetic word to someone else, it is not just a piece of information for them to understand and do something about. No, it is, sometimes it is instruction and direction, but it is also a window into how God thinks about you. If you're hearing a prophetic word that's given by someone else and directed at someone else, you are hearing something that is an opportunity to understand how God thinks about people and therefore an opportunity to widen your perspective of who God is. Not only that, as you hear more prophetic words, as you hear more prophetic uh, utterances, you can create a wider and wider picture of who he is and what his nature is and how other people hear him and how other people see him in ways that you do not yet. I've, I've talked about this a lot, but it's we have to remember that we are finite people, people with limitations. We have a beginning and an end. We have a, you know, we have to eat, we have to sleep, we have limitations. We are finite people serving an infinite God, a God without limitations, without a beginning and an end. It makes sense that with our limitation, we can only see and experience so much of him at once. But I can experience aspects of him that I otherwise would not experience if I can value and recognize when he's speaking and revealing himself to someone else can give me a more full picture of who he is. And so if, you know, supernatural stuff is God revealing who he is, then, you know, why doesn't it work sometimes? Why do I pray for this person they get healed and this person they don't get healed? Why, you know, I, I'll just tell a couple funny stories real quick. I, <clears throat> there was this one time... I've shared this story before, but it's a good one. It's one of the most extreme miracles I've ever experienced. I was at a Bill Johnson conference. I was part of the ministry team. Go to pray for this lady. You could see that she had had a, a extensive plastic surgery. She had been in a bus accident and gotten several hundred pieces of glass uh, lodged in her face, which is a bad day. And it was the wrong kind of, it was like that older kind of glass, so it completely shattered rather than being safety glass. Um, the surgeons had done what they could. They actually couldn't remove all the glass out of her face. And, you know, they had done de a good job with the plastic surgery, but you could tell that they, you know, had had to really work around stuff. We go, we pray for her. She puts her hands out, and pieces of glass start falling out of her face into the palms of her hand. And I'm freaking out because that's crazy. And her face started to shrink down. And by the end of it, she looked completely different. So two minutes after that, I come up to the next person. They have a bad back. And I'm like, well, let's just sweep this up while we're here. I mean, this is, this is no problem. Pray for that lady. And I, I'm, I'm feeling so excited. I'm feeling thrilled. That one miracle was so crazy, so extreme, so intense. Pray for this lady. She's feeling good. She's excited, she's full of faith, praying, nothing happens. Pray again, nothing happens. Pray several times, nothing happens. I don't discern anything that she needs to work on, any, like, anything blocking it whatsoever. I can, I can feel, I can sense that God is wanting to do this, but ah, it doesn't happen. Uh, a little while later, I was on another ministry trip, and I had a migraine. My head was killing me. I... I was uh, leading this particular trip, but I had been invited to this particular, uh, it was like a prayer gathering by a friend of a friend. And so the people there didn't really know me and didn't know my style and didn't know what I normally did. And so they were kind of being a little bit weird about, you know, what I was going to be talking about. And I, you know, so the whole thing is like feeling strange. The whole time I'm talking, people seem really confused. I have a horrible headache. It's a, you know, 
it's a, it's a strikeout, you know. <laughs> Maybe a couple of balls in there. I don't know. It's, it's bad. It's bad. And we get to the end. I feel like we're supposed to pray for, <laughs> pray for people to be healed. I'm like, anything that gets me, stop talking. And guy comes up to me, big, big, muscly guy. He's got a big old back brace around his back. He's like, my back's been in horrible pain for 20 years. Uh, and I'm, I'm, my head's pounding so much, I'm not even hearing his whole story. He's like, da, 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 fell on top of me, da, 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 it hurts, da, da, da. No, no pain medication whatsoever even touches it. Like, it just hurts all the time right now. And I'm, I'm, my head hurts, my head is pounding, the whole meeting was weird. The guy, I go, I'm like, okay, I'll pray for you. And I literally think so clearly in my head as my hand goes towards his back, this ain't happening. <laughs> Full of faith. <laughs> I get five inches away from his back with my hand. The guy goes, wah, whoa, wah, does a full back bend further than I could do and, and feel comfortable doing right now. Does a full bend forward and touches his toes, also something I can't do. <laughs> he whips off the back brace, throws it down and said, oh my goodness, man, it feels like fire. I've never felt the, I've never felt the pain leave in 20 years. Oh my goodness, what did you do? And I'm like, I didn't do a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't always understand why I pray for this person to get healed. I pray for this next person who I, I'm as full of faith as I've ever been probably. They seem full of faith. There's people... In that Bill Johnson meeting, I think 400 people got healed. It was crazy, crazy. And why that person doesn't get healed with something I've seen healed before. And then this person, when I have, you know, not even a mustard seed at that point, totally gets healed. I don't always understand why, but I do understand that God is leading us somewhere. So I'm going to talk, I'm gonna just tell, talk, to, uh, talk about a couple stories that I think get us there. So if you would turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. All right. We're going to go with Acts 12. And this is, you know, this is a great story. This is, you know, early in the church's history... And Peter has been taken prisoner. And I love this story because it <laughs> illustrates how, how mysterious supernatural things are. Again, we, sometimes we get that, that fairy godmother picture in our head where it's just like, oh, God's just going to come. You know, if I'm going to hear God, he's going to do something miraculous. You know, Jesus is going to show up and he's going to explain everything. And we're just going to, you know, go do some miraculous things. Not always the case. And I love because... Sometimes with these stories, especially these biblical stories, because they happen so far back in history, because so often we know the ending of the story, or if we don't know the ending, we find out very shortly what it is, it's easy to remove all the tension and sense of reality out of these stories. Um, <coughs> but this one's fun because there's a lot of reality in it. So Acts 12, we're going to start with verse 6. So again, Peter's in jail. He's chained up. Uh, the other uh, church members are in a house somewhere praying for him. That's kind of what it describes right before this. So Acts 12, verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. They had him completely covered. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in, in the cell, <laughs> which I, I love. Uh, he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. 
Peter didn't wake up with the entrance, you know. Angel, boom, flash of white light. You know, whatever sound effect you want to apply to that. The angel shows up and... (laughs) Wake up. (laughs) Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. I just imagine Peter like, someone kicks me, time to get, put on your clothes, okay. (laughs) Get dressed, put on your sandals, okay, I get it. You know, and then he sees this glowing figure, you know, I assume, and he's like, oh, it's some vision from the Lord to comfort me in this time of need. (laughs) They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. I mean, chains are falling off, doors are opening, he's walking past people. I think Peter's still waking up. (laughs) It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked through the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, I assume that blah is implied. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would ha- happen. And so I just love that first part of the story because so many supernatural things, we don't necessarily know what's going on until afterwards. It doesn't make sense until, oh, that's what God was doing. Oh, that was, oh this part was just a vision. Oh, this part was literally happening right now. And so again, and I just love it because again, we think it's going to make so much sense that it's going to be perfect. And Peter didn't understand what was going on until it was already over. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Which poor Peter, you know. (laughs) You're out of your mind, they told her. Men of great faith, assuming that their prayers were not yet answered. (laughs) Because they were literally praying for Peter at this time. (laughs) When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Because that makes more sense. But Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. <laughs> oh, and so it, it goes on from there, but it's, <laughs> I just love it because it's, like they didn't, you know, they were deeply, you know, we, sometimes I think we even, not, not in the way that this sounds, but we like put a, the early church on a pedestal in a way that's like, they were still just figuring it out. They were, they were still learning how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. They, they knew that God, they, that God wanted Peter free, but they obviously didn't expect it to actually happen that suddenly. And again, it's just so important to remember that it's, there may be like stuff we have to walk through in figuring out how this supernatural stuff works. It may not make sense right away. It may not be comfortable right away, but that doesn't mean that isn't God working. That means that's us discovering how he works. Does that make sense? Another, we don't need to turn this one right now, um, but another one of my favorite stories that's a great, great supernatural story is just the story of Gideon. You know, the the Israelites are being oppressed and they... um, 
you know, the, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, mighty man of valor, you know, you're going to come and you're going to help me conquer, you know, you're going to d- deliver your people. And so he goes around and the Lord is telling him how to do all this. And he, he goes into different tribes, gathers all these men, they get them all. And he's like, ah, oh, that's a pretty good sized army. And God's response is, oh, that's, that's way too big. Way too many people, which is not something a general ever says about an army. That's when we when we have some kind of call to arms or a charge to action, our response is never uh, too many people said yes. It was way too many people agreed with that. <laughs> and the Lord says, "All right, tell everyone who wants to go home, go home." And then you know, more go home, more go home. And then he has the ones that are left like, ah, there's still. God is like, ah, oh, there's still too many. I go have them drink by the water. And if they drink this way, send them home. If they drink this way, those are the ones you want to bring with them. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> it doesn't. I was being sarcastic to say so you no. Know. Um, it. You know, God is having him reduce, reduce, reduce the number of people that are in this army, which just doesn't make any sense whatsoever to Gideon. And then I love, I love the actual, like, uh, quote-unquote combat that happens with this, where they, him and his 300 guys, they surround the Midianite camp at night. That The fact that they went at night is the only tactically sensible thing that they did for this entire thing. And I love, you know, they took their torches, they put them in pots, they walked up, they had their swords, they had trumpets. And the plan was they surround this place at night, smash their pots, hold up their torches and say, the sword of the Lord, hand of Gideon, which to me is basically tantamount to going out there, waking everyone up so that they're angry, holding up a light so they can see where you are and yelling so that they can find you and stab you to death. <laughs> I'm not a brilliant tactician necessarily, but that's how I see that going <laughs> if I tried that. what well, we know the actual story, which is that they smashed the pots, they made all the noise, they raised the torches. The camp of the Midianites panicked and ran into each other in his swords, took off, and ran away, causing way, way fewer losses on the Israelite side than if Gideon had had an army that was 10 times bigger than the one he had and attacked them. And in fact, I might, this is just me, uh, my assumption, but probably causing less death on the side of the Midianites as well because most of them actually ran away. Like God, God's solution to that problem caused fewer casualties than man's solution to that problem. I share this because I, as I was thinking about this word supernatural and what it meant, I felt like the definition was pretty simple. That was pretty easy to come up with. But as I listed the things that I saw fitting under that category, praying for the sick, you know, uh, also healing the sick, and, uh, you know, operating prophetic words, seeing angels, all, all these things that we could fit, you know, and I'm sure you can come up with your own list. No matter how many things I came up with, it it felt so limited in scope. It felt like I was missing something, no matter how much that I thought. It was then that I just had this thought process of every single one of us is called to be supernatural. Every single one of us has, the, has now, I, I want to draw this out because every single one of us has natural gifts that God gave us. 
Every one of us has natural abilities. Every single one of us could go out there and be successful. That's the, you know, quote-unquote American dream. It's not a bad thing. It's that any of us can go find a spot, find a, find a niche, find a thing to do, and do it really well, and make a good living, make a good life, and do very, very good, maybe even great. However, God has... God has created in us the ability to naturally have a good and great life. But I believe that he also has given us an invitation to a supernatural life. And a supernatural life usually is on the other side of an inconvenience. Or something that doesn't make sense. Something that doesn't seem like the right way to do it. Something that doesn't seem like the right way to go about it. Let's, here, I want to point to one more thing. Let's go back to that Gideon story. And I'm sorry, I didn't make you turn there earlier. Uh, Go to Judges real quick, if you would, because I do want you to see this. Go to Judges, Judges 6. I want you to hear real quick how this started out. So it's Judges 6, uh, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Johash the Abizrite. It's the best I got for that one. <laughs> Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Uh, pardon me, Lord, my Lord, Gideon replied. <coughs> And I love the way that Gideon responds because I've heard this response and felt this response a lot. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And I love the response that happens because We've all had that question in some fashion, in some form, whether it's the stories that I shared where I pray for this person, they get healed. I pray for this person, they don't get healed. I pray for this small thing and it gets healed and it comes through and God breaks through. I pray for this big thing and it doesn't happen. I pray for this big thing and it does happen. I pray for this other big thing and it doesn't happen. Where were you on that, Lord? Now we can go way bigger than that and sometimes I, I do. Sometimes I you know, just look at the world. I look at the suffering that exists on this planet, around the world, in our own area, in our own country. I look at homelessness. I look at um, children who are abandoned or mistreated. I look at all of these different things. Anywhere you look, anywhere you look, go looking for darkness, you'll, you'll find some shade of it. And when I look at that stuff, it hurts. And when I look at that stuff, I think, I have those old questions that, that my, my atheist friends used to throw at me of, like, if God is good, then what, why is he allowing this to happen? Why is he allowing that to happen? Why is this happening? And I may not have the perfect answer in response to those things, but I know that I serve a God who doesn't hide his face from the darkness that exists in the world, that does not hide his face from the pain that exists in people in this world. And again, I don't know the perfect answer, but when I read this scripture, 
I start to suspect what God's answer might actually be when he sees and feels and opens his heart to the pain that exists in the world. Gideon said, did not, the Lord, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the name, or given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And when I read that scripture, I start to feel the heart of God floating over the entire timeline of history from beginning to end, looking at every single moment of pain, look at, looking at every single tragedy, both the big ones and the small ones, the, 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 the ones that affect countries and the ones that only affect individuals, going from one to the next to the next to the next. And as his compassionate, loving heart viewed every single atrocity man would ever con commit against man, I feel the answer bubbling in the soul of the Lord. What if I sent my children to repair the wounds that are happening on the earth? And what if I imbue them with every benefit that comes from being associated with the family of God? What if I give them everything that they need to solve every problem that has ever existed on the earth. And as I thought that, I realized why that definition of supernatural feels far too limiting to me. It's because I do not believe that we have even begun to see all of the ways that God wants to release his supernatural glory onto the earth. I do not believe that we have even begun to see all the ways that God wants to release revival into the earth. I have a decent idea of what revival looks like in a church. A decent idea. I do not yet know what revival looks like in the boardroom of a Fortune 500 company. I do not yet know what revival looks like on a Hollywood movie set. I have snapshots, but I do not know what full-blown revival looks like in the entertainment industry. I do not yet know what revival looks like for a Saturday morning cartoon show for on a rock album, on all these different things. We have snapshots, but there are so many places that have yet to receive the full measure of God's will, God's passion, and God's glory for these areas. And I start to suspect that if maybe we think, well, everyone's just laying down and the presence of God is so heavy that everyone's laughing. <laughs> That's a beautiful expression of who God is and his, his character but it's only one. And I think that if we take that one and apply it everywhere, that we're actually selling the goodness of God short. Gideon's heart must have hurt for his people. He would not have responded to an angel of the Lord quite so uh, abruptly if he didn't. 
in my opinion. And the response was, I am sending you. He said, go in your strength. Choose to go with what you have. You, don't, you only need to follow the story a little bit to see that God led him all throughout that process. But he started with his own strength. He chose to go. There's a reason that you hear a news story and it hurts you personally. It's because part of the answer has been placed in your heart by the King of Kings. It's because you have all of the qualifications you would ever need to speak life, to speak glory, to speak the goodness of God into those areas of society, into those areas of influence. There's a reason that parts of society that seem small to other people seem really big to you. That groups of people that seem unimportant to other people seem very important to you is because you're seeing them the way that God sees them and you are called to bring his glory to that area. And he has equipped you to be the person that brings revival to that area. And I know that we have... We have challenges, we have wounds, we have pains, we have things we're getting over, we have stuff we're working through. How could God use me? How am I ready for that? I'm not buying that. Because there is this man who was so possessed by demons that they had to chain him up. And he was so possessed by demons that he broke any chain that they put on him. And that man met Jesus for a few minutes Maybe a couple hours, maybe. And after that encounter, he was released to the city that he had been tormenting and was a revivalist for that city. I don't, I don't buy that because there is a woman who had been married five other times and was living with a man that was not her husband which is something that is actually difficult for us to understand in our modern culture, how, how much of an outcast that woman would be in the culture of the time. It's difficult for us to really comprehend that. But she would have been viewed as, as some of the lowest of the low. No influence, no input. But she ran into Jesus at a well. And after a few words exchanged, went back and brought her entire city into an encounter with Jesus. An entire city that listened to what she had to say and followed her out to see what she had seen. We're, we are one encounter away with Jesus from everything that we need to speak to a city. One encounter away. That's all that it takes. That, those were people who had short conversations with Jesus. We have been invited into a lifestyle of perpetual relationship with him. What on earth can we do? So I want to pray for you guys real quick, if you'd stand up. I know that some of this can be, can be broad sweeping, can be you know, hard to get a gr grip on. 
it's really as simple as saying yes to what he's telling you to do. And a lot of the time, <laughs> it's on the other side of something that bugs you. Of something that's inconvenient. Of something that doesn't make social sense, that doesn't fit into your norm. Well, that's just not my personality. Man, if, when I think of how many people that I didn't pray for to be healed because I was worried with a good heart of how, would they, how they would feel if they didn't get healed. When I think of how many people I didn't pray for and now how many people I have prayed for that have been healed, and honestly, my, st my stats aren't that great. <laughs> but if I think of how many people I didn't pray for I start seeing that that thing that I was worried about is not nearly as important as I thought. I start to realize that that inconvenience is not nearly as big a barrier as I thought. I don't buy the idea that anyone is more anointed than anyone else. I know some people think that. If you disagree, we can chat later. We have the same Holy Spirit. We are anointed by the same blood. We are invited into the same family the same way. You're just as anointed as Bill Johnson, as me, as Billy Graham, as anyone. I, you're probably not anointed the same way, but that is probably a really good idea. <laughs> Because we are finite people serving an infinite God. And if we all looked like Billy Graham, if we all looked like Bill Johnson, we would have a less full picture of who God is. However, we will also have a less full picture of who God is if we don't all individually, personally press in to the, to the peace of his heart that we have been given most intimate access to to the places that we're called to see that no one else may see, that no one else may notice. There are aspects of God's nature that will never be revealed on the earth unless through you. And if they are revealed through you, they can become part of the permanent record of, the, of God's relationship with man on the earth. You're a big deal. <laughs> and not because of what you do or what you've done or what you're going to do, but because of who he is to you. So this is something that's so individualistic. It's, it's I, I, you know, again, I can't really give it to you. I can point it out to you. But the only way to do this is to be led by his spirit, is to be led by his voice, is to be led by his presence, is to be willing to take that step past what's convenient, what makes sense, what is normal, what is natural. It may feel uncomfortable, it probably will, but I guarantee you on the other side of that, it's so much more comfortable. It is way more comfortable when he's in charge. So 
So Lord, teach us how to have the boldness that we need to say yes to you. Teach us what we need to follow those steps, to follow those leaps, to follow those moments of inconvenience, those moments where it doesn't make sense, those moments where we're stepping outside of maybe even what we, what we see as the boundaries. And give us the courage, give us the humility to be corrected if we made a mistake when we stepped out of those boundaries. Don't let those, don't, I just right now, I just break off the shame that has come upon some people in this room for stepping out in faith and not seeing it come through. I just break the shame of that off right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Choosing to take a risk for the kingdom is never a failure. Is never a failure. Even if we discover that that is not what God was doing right then, even if we discover that that was not actually what God was saying to us, that is still that faith, that risk, that step forward will take us, will be, will be meat on our bones for the next thing that God takes us to. It will be a, the meat of relationship, of connection, of intimacy with him. Man, we, sometimes we, we get a skewed perspective. Like, you know, we look at Peter and like, oh, he stepped out on the water, but then he sunk. Peter walked on water for a few seconds. <laughs> I have not done that yet. We look at, we look at Thomas who, you know, like, oh, didn't, didn't think that Jesus had been, had been resurrected. Didn't think, didn't think for a, a little bit that Jesus was still alive and needed to see him. Jesus didn't give him nearly a hard time as the rest of us Christians do. (laughs) Jesus invited him right back in. He he still transformed cities. He still transformed nations. He still was one of the original apostles that released the message of Jesus to the world. We've learned to view our mistakes with a magnifying glass and our victories with a microscope. (laughs) And that is not how heaven sees them. So I just break off any shame that would attach itself to, fit, to, to faith, to stepping out, to taking risk, and release courage to step out in faith again, courage to change our mind, courage to change our perspective, courage to realize that maybe we were wrong in the past, and that is okay. And that is okay. And I just speak to those hungers. I speak to those messages. I speak to those pains that we feel when we hear that news story, when we look at that industry, when we look at that section of society, and just say, I speak those to come fully open in connection with our intimate relationship with God so that we can hear the answers to the questions that the world has been asking. I just release your presence into this place. I release your clarity into this place and that every single step that we take would bring us into a more deep, more personal, and more intimate connection with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.